to horror queers we're talking jenny from the block we're talking kirsten chenoweth's lesbian haircut and we're talking your mom's cookies i'm joe damn it you totally stole my intro but yes i'm trace and we're talking i don't know kirsten chenoweth calling j-lo a pussy for her first line oh see i thought you were gonna go with his classic line that he calls kirsten chenoweth Ugh. God, the dried up, dirty fucking cunt. I, I mean, we're just getting right off on it today with the cunt. But uh, yeah, no, I am super into everything Christian Chenoweth is doing in this movie, and I did watch those deleted scenes. <laughs> you mean all two minutes that she's doing in this movie? <laughs> I will tell you, no, there are five deleted scenes, and she is she has three of them, so she has like five minutes of cut footage that honestly, like, would have been better kept in. Do you think one of them is her getting her hair cut? No, but one okay. of them does introduce Chekhov's engine. Oh my god, I can't. <laughs> there are Chekhov's things all over this movie, and I love it. I love how stupid it is, and I love that it... I don't, well, we can debate if it knows it's stupid or not, but I will tell you that I did watch the nine-minute making-of documentary of this movie, and I don't think they knew it was stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, welcome back to Camp Classic, The Boy Next Door. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. We were discussing The Boy Next Door this week, uh, as y'all probably heard us say last week. But before we dive into the film, we do have a guest today. Now, everyone, you have heard us reference and make fun of him uh, and his writing many times on this podcast before. He is one of the busiest freelancers around, seemingly balancing a day job while writing for such prestigious websites like Slash Film, Collider, Dread Central, Fangoria, Adam Tickets, Flickering Myth, and of course, Bloody Disgusting. He also does something for Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. Um, I should probably know what it is, but I don't, but he can elaborate on that later. I think he just drinks a lot, right? He drinks a lot, uh, despite living all the way across the country in Los Angeles. Please welcome Matt Donato. Thank you for that illustrious greeting. That was fantastic. <laughs> and thank you for welcoming me into the Horror Queers family, finally. <laughs> you are our first bro i was just gonna say i mean we've been needing a win for a while uh straight <laughs> white males and i feel very honored to really be breaking the door down here now listeners you may be confused because you're like wait what the fuck horror queers why do you have this straight guy on the podcast well little did you know that matt Donato is the biggest supporter of the boy next door <laughs> absolutely absolutely love the film have been championing it since day one we just don't get erotic thrillers like this anymore. Would we call this erotic or even thrilling? I think they call it an erotic thriller. <laughs> Wait, this movie is very sexy. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. There's one sexy scene, <laughs> and then there's a lot of really hot bodies surrounded by stupid. Okay, I thought the scene where he was dry humping J-Lo was sexier than the actual sex scene itself. Like the one where he's sexually assaulting her in the bathroom or earlier? Yes, no, the bathroom scene where he's like, it was just like this, and the camera's just panning on his butt as he like dry humps her against the door. Mm. 
I mean, it is like a salt, you know. I think that says more about you, Trace. (laughs) Yeah, probably so. But wait, wait, Joe, why are we discussing this movie, though? All right, so this is the last of our anniversary films. So this is the film that we have chosen to coincide with last year's Swim Fan. So... I think we bemoan the fact that Swim Fan doesn't quite get the attention it does in the back catalog. So if people have not listened to that episode, it's actually a good precursor to the crazy shit that we do now. Yes, I think Swim Fan is actually the first, I mean, the first funny episode that we have. And of course, humor subjective. But I remember like ending that episode thinking, okay, I feel comfortable with this now. Yeah. But uh, in truth, these are films that are more camp classic erotic thrillers as opposed to queer texts. But there's just so much batshit madness going on in these films. How could we not discuss them? I think J-Lo gives it enough queerness. Um, Also, it is, well, six days ago, it was the five-year anniversary of The Boy Next Door. So it also kind of works out for that. Oh, he's a man now. <laughs> the men. He was a man then, too. I mean, I know. <laughs> he was 26, Ryan Guzman, when he filmed this. But I, Dude, it, still, I get it. Do I need to go back and talk about my body dysmorphia? Like, oh, yes, this is what an average 19-year-old looks like. Sure, movie. Thanks for that. I could not peg what I knew him from. I was like, who is this person? Why do I know him from something? Is it because you wanted to peg him? What? No. <laughs> I mean, yes, but wait, no, yes, no, fuck him. Um, but no, he's on nine one one, the 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 Ryan Murphy show. Wait, that's what you recognize him from? I recognize him from what was he on? The Heroes Terrible Remake. Okay, no one watched that. Yeah, I did not recognize him from that. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not. What did that. you recognize him from? I mean, was Gem and the Holograms first? I'm not gonna lie. Like, I think I just saw it like right before it. For okay, some no reason, no one saw that either. I mean, I I reviewed it, so I had to. Oh, but yeah. God. Perhaps we should just accept that Mr. Guzman makes terrible decisions, and yet he has found himself on a television show, so he's probably raking it in hand over fist. Now. I'm going to just say everybody wants some and leave, leave oh, that there. Oh, okay. Well, that is a legitimately good movie. I never saw it, but I do like Link Later. Uh, I just missed it. But I will say that he is now in the Ryan Murphy fold, and 911 is a very, very highly, like in terms of like viewership numbers, a very highly rated show. Oh, yeah. No, there's no denying that if you can end up on a TV show, you're pretty good and if you can end up on a ryan murphy show then you're extra good because that means you'll probably show up in one of his terrible iterations in some capacity also you guys did you see the cleansing hour at fantastic fest i did we did you know that's him in it right wait the main exorcism guy he's the exorcist yeah what (laughs) wait you didn't know that no yeah yeah no that that's ryan guzman Hold on. You have to remember, Matt, that Trace has like weird horse blinders on when it comes to guys with long hair. <laughs> he just got the long hair and it just went out his head. Oh, he looks terrible. Then. I know, but that long hair looks awful. Yeah, no, that, that's Mr. Guzman. Oh, my God. God, see, I feel so bad. I should have recognized that eight pack. Ugh, bad gay. His abs are just ungodly. Oh. Again, going back to the body dysmorphia of my high yes. school days and just looking like, what? It's like, okay, we can just throw out the washing machine because we've got hit here. <laughs> I guess we'll discuss it more when we get to the actual sex scene, but I will say that I was very impressed with Mr. Uh, Director Rob Cohen, Mr. Cohen's. Uh, Mr. Cohen, as we refer to him. I would. You could have convinced me that either a woman or a gay man directed this movie because he does frame Guzman's body very lovingly i guess is a word that i'll say well, i love the i mean well actually no i'll save it when we get there because i have okay. plenty of things to talk about there well all right so, so then, yeah before we dive in then we'll just go through some basic facts so yeah boy next door came out january 23rd 2015 so that makes this the five-year anniversary uh runtime of 91 minutes distributed by universal pictures produced 
by Blumhouse Pictures, which Ooh, I did not know. I was know. surprised to see that come up. When when the logo popped up, well, first of all, you get the really ominous music over the Universal logo, but then the Blumhouse thing popped up, and I was like, what the fuck is this? They've been taking their shots for a while, though, I mean, with the stuff they've been putting out. So I, I, it's not that surprising to think that they tried to make a low-budget version of this stick, and then uh, Rob Cohen had to put more of his own money into it to actually make the movie he wanted. Oh, yeah, and we will get definitely into that, because, um, so, well, that's the thing, so this budget was $4 million, and um, on the behind-the-scenes uh, documentary that I watched, I mean, I call it a documentary, it's like a nine-minute, like, jerk-off session for everyone involved with this film. I was gonna say, I think I've taken peas longer than that. Oh, get that checked. <laughs> it's okay, <laughs> there's no blood in the urine, I'm good, I'm good. But no, but like, I mean, it, well, of course, Jason Blum is in the footage and he's like talking about how it's like, you know, oh, JLo's never worked with a budget like this before. And like, you know, we have this director who's known for action movies because listeners, in case you don't know, um, director Rob Cohen. Well, he got his, I think the movie that made him was Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, but he's done such major films like The Fast and the Furious, Triple mm-hmm. X, mm-hmm. Daylight, The Skulls. <laughs> Ooh, potential future episode, The Skulls. Yes, um, but then we again, t- I, I, I think really like post Fast and the Furious, it goes, well, actually, I guess post Triple X, it goes downhill because then we've got Stealth, The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, Alex Cross, and The Hurricane Heist. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's used to working with like big budget, like studio action films, um, which is also the only reason why there are two car accident scenes in this movie, uh, because he wanted to go film them. <laughs> He was like, I've got the cars in my backyard. Yeah, exactly. He's just drawn to cars because it's all he knows. Just like, oh, I mean, like, what else are we going to do? <laughs> I can't crash J-Lo's body. Can I get a car in here for that? <laughs> yeah. I will say, the funniest fact that I found about this movie um, was that to keep the budget down, J-Lo used her own wardrobe for all of her clothes. <gasps> Is that serious? Like, that? It, that's God. just such an outrageous thing. Like, how much money did that really save? Now, I, I will admit... Well... Uh, we are talking J-Lo money here. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, this isn't Hustlers, you know. She's she wears, like, movie. the same PJs over and over again. She wears, like, the same kind of, like, it, it, like there's nothing special there. I, I, just, I just don't know how much money that can possibly save. I mean, if they're la- if they're designer labels, I mean, it could probably be a couple grand. Fair. This is true. I did appreciate the story that I found where she talked about, well, I mean, I... I appreciated legitimately her discussion about how if this film had have had a larger budget or been a bigger studio picture, she and Guzman would have never been cast because it's like two Latinos in a film together. But uh, I did enjoy the comment where she talks about she's never worked on a film that shot this fast. And I was like, it shot in 23 days. Like, I know that's not a long shoot, but every single indie film I've ever seen has that lengthy right but she doesn't she i mean like i i I know j-lo filmography fairly well has she really done like an indie movie before though i was just gonna say i mean like the closest thing we have now is kind of hustlers but i mean this is way before hustlers even what you don't think selena no that was a studio film like definitely yeah that Mm. was yeah um anaconda obviously took a long time to film (laughs) of course (laughs) as as it required it took 23 days to animate the snake. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to think. So, like before this, so this uh, obviously, well, this is four fucking five years ago. So there's a bunch of stuff before this, obviously. But I mean, like you know, even when she was starting out, I mean, out of sight, like what kind of like Selena made her famous. Out of sight, like got her like as oh, she can really act. She she doesn't just do impersonations of Selena. And then her her career has been so bizarre to me because she takes projects sometimes where I'm like. Why is she doing that? But then she does other things that are like serious. Like, so, I mean, early 2000s, you know, you got the wedding planner, you've got enough, you've got, oh, God, I don't even. 
What's another rom? Oh, oh, Made in Manhattan. Monster in Law. I love oh, Monster in Law. Fuck off. Okay. You don't like Monster in Law? Can we get back to the movie we're talking about? I'm sorry. These are not good films. Yeah, you want you want to talk Geely? Like, what do you want to talk here? Oh, like, I've, I've never <laughs> seen Geely, but I do own the DVD. I got it for three bucks at like a buyback store, and I've always been like wanted to watch it. But like, she's done horror stuff though. I mean, like, she did the cell and things like that. And I know the boy next door isn't straight horror. If people want to argue that, but uh, I mean. I mean, yeah, but I mean, like, th- there's a shot of her holding a knife um, that I'm shocked wasn't used for the movie's poster. Right, yeah, it sells that kind of, like, almost like Halloween vibe a little bit. Yeah. Also, I mean, not relevant, but I'm just going to tell everyone that if you uh, didn't see it, you should go, or you should watch Second Act, the movie with Vanessa Hudgens that she did, like, two years ago. No, surprisingly, I mean, it's not great, but surprisingly, a lot better than you think it's going to be. It's because it's not the movie you think it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's completely like the trailer like lied to everybody. It was great. That was a hoodwink that no one saw coming. Yeah. Anyway. Which is also this film. Yeah, back to this film. Uh, so yes, this movie actually did surprisingly well at the box office, given that fucking Blumhouse budget. It opened at number two, uh, behind American Sniper's second week at number one. But the discrepancy is kind of crazy. American Sniper made like 60-something million uh, this weekend, and this movie made 14.9 million. Uh, so, I mean, it already more than tripled its budget in its opening weekend, which is kind of cool. And the funny thing is, is that people remember this film as a huge flop. And it's not at all. People forget about the budget, I think. That's the issue. You know, just like you alluded to before, it's a Blumhouse production. So you're only putting four million in uh, marketing, what, another one or two. So it, it doesn't take much to make them profitable where, yes, if you're looking at like Marvel numbers or something crazy, of course, like a paltry 35 million domestic doesn't sound that great. But then you look at the actual returns and you're like, oh, wow, this is way better than we thought it did. Yeah. Yeah, we can pay for J-Lo's wardrobe on two future movies with this map. Exactly. Or just give a real budget to a movie, but Blumhouse will never do that. No. <laughs> oh, no. Why would they? I think I like most of Blumhouse's output. I mean, obviously, they have quite a few clunkers, but I do feel like lately they're getting a bit more business focused <laughs> than they are quality focused listeners you can listen to our patron minisode where we talk about the first quarter horror films that we're excited about where trace uh dresses down blumhouse's de- decision to market fantasy island as blumhouse's fantasy island <laughs> <laughs> yeah woof. I cannot believe that, um, but I am excited for that movie. Okay, so this went on to gross $35.4 million, and it made an additional $17 million overseas for a worldwide total of $52.4 million. This movie was a hit. I don't care what anyone says. Well, not so much with the critics. No. So, so uh, I was actually a little surprised by the, how low this was. Rotten Tomatoes score of 11%, with an average score of a 3.3 out of 10. I don't think that's entirely fair, but maybe we'll, maybe y'all will change my mind as we talk well, about it. Well, I had to look that too, because I looked at the little cheat sheet you sent over, and I was like, 11%? That seems way too low. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's on about 133 reviews. So it's not even like it's just a handful of reviews, and it's like, oh yeah, it's just not really great in that dynamic. But no, it's like a large swath of reviews that's out there that it's pulling from. Um, and it's insane, like an 11%, like, I don't understand, there's no wasted time in this film, like, I, it boggles my mind here. Well, one of the biggest complaints, besides that it was stupid, which again, it is, but, but was that it was boring, and I just, like, with the with the dialogue that this movie is serving, 
None of this was boring to me. I was laughing my ass off from beginning to end. It's hilarious. The little jokes they sneak in. I mean, they're not, they shouldn't even be jokes. I think no. that's going back to what you said before, where like they didn't know the movie they were making. They thought they were making a serious thriller. There are so many camptastic lines. It's not even funny. Well, that's, hey, we're going back in like our, our we, we did a uh, two month streak of camp last year. And it's, we, it was always a big debate of like, okay, Camp can either know it's being bad and like going for it, or it doesn't know it's bad, and it th- that's what makes it campy. It's unintentionally funny, and it's not really a matter of which one's better. It just they are, and this movie I don't think knows it's bad. No, no. it doesn't. And yeah. I think J Lo is a really good actress, and I think she does really well with what she's given in this movie. But holy fuck, some of the lines in this movie I don't even know. Oh yeah, it's the script that's letting this film down, and I think the critics are if we're being honest, rightfully seizing on the fact that this isn't offering much new in the way of freshness. Like, if you've seen an erotic thriller before, you can guess every single plot beat in this film. Well, the movie also telegraphs everything. Yes. This is a Lifetime movie that got a $4 million budget and was put in theaters. Also, January horror release, uh, which... Again, patrons, if you're if you subscribe, you will you'll have an episode or a mini episode on January horror within the next week. If we haven't dropped it already, I don't know. But yeah, th- when people think of January movies, like something like this is what comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay. So audience score of thirty three percent with an average score of five point four six out of ten. I've said this every week for the past couple of weeks, but Matt, did you know that? For an audience score, it is only considered a fresh tomato if they give it at least a three and a half out of five. Really? Yes. So if you give it a 3 out of 5 or a 6 out of 10, it is considered rotten. That's an interest. Okay. I did not know that. That's actually very interesting. Yep. I did not know that either until recently, and it's uh, shocking. But anyway, uh, Metacritic score of 30 out of 100 with an audience user score of 53 out of 100. So See, that user score suggests to me that people have figured out what this film truly is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that anyone went to go see this movie knew what they were getting into i also think though maybe i'll disagree that there is a significant number of people in the world that really don't like j-lo um i don't know i mean i don't know if i can actually justify that i i i feel like that there's a perception that she's a bitch and people don't like her not necessarily from her acting abilities but just like from her diva persona okay yes there is definitely that particularly when she was dating uh ben affleck <laughs> mr ben yeah <laughs> mr. Ben. that didn't work out all that well for her public image i think the other thing and i'll attest to this myself i didn't always think that she had a ton of acting chops so she's always good but she's not Go always great well that's also the argument going around right now and why she's not getting an oscar nomination for hustlers Ugh. is that so many people view her as a musician first yeah. and an actor on the side uh and they like they don't take her seriously as the exactly. actor when if you go back and look at some of her roles like i i don't know how that how you could really say that to be honest but yes that is the perception i think i think that's the bigger part people looking at her as not a double threat but as a musician dabbling her toes into acting whenever she kind of feels like it Well, I think part of the problem, and we're not going to belabor this point too, too much, but I think one of the issues is that she has a tendency to take this easy commercial fare that doesn't require much of her. So even though she's good in it, people look at the project and they think that she's garbage. Whereas when she actually, dare I say, applies herself and goes for more prestige fare, Mm -hmm. like Out of Sight, like Selena, like hustlers then people actually see the talent but the haters are still gonna hate yeah you're right it's selena it's out of sight it's um the cell and i i 
I don't think enough has a critical like love to it, but people really like enough. Well, I would put enough in the league of this movie. Like they're enjoyable bad movies. I think enough is a better movie than this, but I think that this is a more entertaining movie than enough is. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So before we get to the plot, I, I don't know how to gracefully integrate this fact into the episode, but I wanted to bring it up before we started. So apparently last year, like February of last year, um, Rob Cohen does have a transgender daughter. She accused him of sexually assaulting her as a child, as well as sexually assaulting another woman. Wow. Did that's, not hear that. Uh, that's great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I just didn't think there was going to be a time later to really bring that up, but I just thought it was important to be like, hey, Rob Cohen might be a piece of shit. Well, it's interesting, actually, that you raise it up, considering that the screenwriter of this film, Barbara Curry, has actually gone on record saying that she does not really feel like the film is hers because it suffered extensive rewrites by both director Rob Cohen as well as producer Jason Blum. <laughs> and this film features no less than two sexual assaults in it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the rewrites were coming from the budget. Like, I'm sure Jason Blum sat down with Rob Cohen and they were like, cool, we can't do this because that's going to cost this much money. Can't do this. And so that's, there's a lot of shortcuts in this movie. Um, I mean, again, when we get to the plot, we'll talk about how how many shortcuts there are, especially in the opening fucking credits. But yeah, I feel bad for this woman because the only thing she's done since then is a TV movie. Yeah, I wonder if she was kind of like, you know what? I didn't have a great experience and I don't know how much more I want to do with this. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Probably. I mean, she's also a former defense attorney, or from sorry, a former criminal lawyer. So she probably like can do other stuff. I mean, I hope she's doing okay. Yeah, Barbara Curry, if you're listening, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take us away. Okay. High school classics, not English. Teacher Claire Peterson, J Lo, is a hot single mom. <laughs> she is separated from her cheating husband Garrett, aka John Corbett a.k.a. Aiden from Sex and the City. The first line of this movie, though, is a voiceover by him. And I like John Corbett, but holy fuck, his delivery. All right, so there is some decent acting in this movie with the garbage dialogue. This is not one of them. It's like, um, his line is, I want to come home, Claire. Just let me come home, please. It's such a bad, like, flashback kind of intro. Yeah. To just, like, that's how you're starting your movie on. Yes. And now I understand why the critics might have jumped down the throat of The Boy Next Door because it starts on the worst possible foot. I mean, rewatching the film, I was like, oh, crap. I <laughs> love this movie. This? And I know I remember loving this movie, but, like, was I wrong? Because this intro is terrible. It's like lifetime montage bullshit. Yep, 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 yep. It, we got to get all of this out as expeditiously as possible. How can we do that? Running montage, voiceover, go. She does run a lot in this movie. There's even a deleted scene of her running when, uh, like, before she fucks Noah, um, where he, like, runs into her and they, like, talk for a bit. I mean, she, she's got that body. She's got to keep in shape. She's probably running on set. Well, that was the budget, too. They had this, like, one plot of land that she could run on. <laughs> actually, though, also, I respect a film that shows their hot actors, like, actually working out. I, like, one of my pet peeves <laughs> in movies is these, like, incredibly hot characters and actors who just are eating cheeseburgers the whole time and, like, just not never working out. We never see them taking care of themselves. So, like, respect on a film to actually be like, no, our characters are healthy and that's why they're hot. And it's like, all right, cool. I respect that. It's real Nomi Malone eating those cheeseburgers. Oh, my God. That's exactly <laughs> where I was going to go. Except that she does extra workouts because she has to work on her turns and balance, Trace. But she has all those chips to eat. No. <laughs> the, the roommate stole the chips. Oh. Right. I'm it's sorry. a fucking plot point. Okay. 
All right, so she is separated from her cheating husband, Garrett, and she lives with her mouthy, annoying, sexually frustrated son, Kevin <sighs> Nelson, and she has regular wine mom dish sessions with her bestie, Vicky, Kristen Chenoweth, rocking her lesbian suburb haircut. So this son is the worst child in the world. I hate him so much. And I mentioned at the top of the episode, but legit, like, Kristen Chenoweth's first line is calling J-Lo a pussy, and I am here for it. I want to know what attracted Kristen Chenoweth to this project, because... Rob Cohen! He, no, yeah. he, so he says in, in the behind the scenes, like, he wanted her specifically for this role. God, oh my god, that just boggles my mind. <laughs> and she didn't have to do much. I mean, she's... How many scenes is she in? Like, She three, dies maybe? off screen! Exactly, yeah. So we don't even have to worry about her working more than four days on this film. She probably got half the budget or some crap just to do it. Oh, God. This is a golden toilet seat role. The, yep. the the deleted scene that does, I think, should have been kept in. So basically, it's like she comes out with some heels and she's like, I found me some fuck me pumps. And here are your fuck me pumps. And then it's basically where she introduces the concept of the double date that we see later in the movie. Oh, uh, Okay. And then we, like, she, t- her and J-Lo go on a walk through her barn, and we get an establishing shot of the barn from, and, like, get a shot of the fucking hanging engine as it pans down with them. And so, like, we're introduced to the barn, to the engine, to their double date. Like, it's all this establishing stuff that gets cut out of the movie in what's probably a 90-second scene. And it's like, why, why cut that out? Because who needs exposition? Let's be honest. Clearly. (laughs) You don't need backstory and things like that. Also, can we go over how many Chekhov's things there are in this movie? Oh, Oh, yes. Chekhov's cookies, Chekhov's EpiPen, Chekhov's engine block. Like, what the heck? Like, you don't have to tease everything in the film within the first, like, two scenes. I actually wrote Chekhov's garage door because I thought that was going to play a factor later. And so I did, too. (laughs) When it didn't, I was like, oh, that's a missed opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, really quickly, though, just on uh, Ian Nelson, who plays Kevin. Have you guys seen Like Me? No. I looked up his filmography. He looks familiar, but I couldn't place him in anything else. So Ian Nelson, he plays this man named Bert in this film about social media and how YouTube and Instagram is destroying us all. And he plays this kid that sits in his mom's basement yet has the most scathing diss rants ever against other YouTube, like uh, other social media users. And he's actually really good in it. And it's just so funny to see him as this wimpy kid in uh, The Boy Next Door who, I mean, he's just so influential. Every Anything that anyone else says, he'll do, which is just hilarious to me. But he's such a, I don't want to say hard ass, but he is so mean and he is so nasty in this movie like me. So it was just really weird going back and rewatching this as the first role he did. He goes through some of the weirdest mood swings in this movie. It is opposite ends of the spectrum, like back and forth, back and forth. He's mad at the mom. He's mad at the dad. D- does he know that the dad cheated on her? I think he does. Yeah. But but then there's a line later in the movie. I don't know if I wrote it down or not, but where I was like, oh, maybe he doesn't know that that he did this. I don't know. No, because the first time he gets mad, it's basically like, you've been gone, you've, you know, what you did is yeah. inexcusable. So I, I'm assuming if he's acknowledging what happened, then he knows what happened, too. All right. Well, that's fine. Continue. <laughs> All right. So in an exposition-laden info dump, it is revealed that Garrett cheated on Claire with a co-worker whom Vicky refers to as the San Francisco Treat, which is the first of many, many cookie references in the film. <laughs> Mm, can you see that a cookie reference or a rice reference? Oh, I thought it's a baked good reference. Isn't yes, that a rice thing. All right. Thank, thank you for being charitable, Trace. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I, I was going to make that work for you. All right. 
Well, nicely done on the yes and front then. (laughs) (laughs) For once in my life. For once, yeah. Claire pointedly asked Vicky to stop bringing it up because Garrett doesn't go to San Francisco anymore. (laughs) In a scene that introduces Chekhov's allergy EpiPen, Milf is lent a helping hand, or is it a bulging bicep, by hunky boy next door, Noah Sandberg, played by Ryan Guzman. And again, as Donato said earlier, a 26-year-old playing this 19-year-old douchebag. Like a beefy 26-year-old, too. Like someone who spends every waking hour at the gym and when you see that bicep which the greatest shot framing possible you don't see mm-hmm. his face or anything no. you just see the bicep like that's all that matters and you're kind of like good lord what is this movie but oh my god rob cohen <laughs> yeah this movie loves to fetishize his body and i'm oh, yeah. kind of here for it well that's not, no but that's what i'm saying though it's it's bizarre that it's again this Pro- prolific i don't know if i want to use that word right now but this action director who's known for like the butchest macho-iest Ma- you know what maybe that's no, it i was gonna say welcome back to homoerotic <laughs> action movies <laughs> <laughs> the part where he's fixing the car and he's covered in grease i put in my notes greasy guzman <laughs> nice <laughs> no but i do agree with you trace though and i'll get to it more when we get to the sex scene but it's filmed from such a female gaze yeah and, it is and again like I, I understand all his other movies he does kind of the same thing with hunky dudes and they're always like in tank tops and stuff like that he does show that off so much but there's something so unique about the way that he's filming these sex scenes and you forget it's rob cohen i like oh yeah. i didn't think he had this in him no you know? not at all it's and when he says in the behind the scenes like he did he took this on as like as a test for himself to see if he could do a movie with this little of a budget this four million dollar a budget. test for himself and he focuses all on ryan guzman yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah he was testing testing something. I've taken such a test, and I may have failed it. Pleasurably. Okay. Okay. On the way to the hardware store for garage door parts, Kevin, and by extension the film's screenwriter, bend over backwards to confirm that jailbait Noah is, in fact, nearly 20 years old, which makes him legally fuckable. <laughs> At the store, Noah pumps up Kevin's self-esteem around local hottie Allie, Lexi Atkins, before the loser is harassed by teen bully and son of Hans, Jason Zimmer. Okay, first, uh, the Wiz reference. One of two of the Wiz references, which yes. I, I, I love. I love so much where this film goes with its burns. So the, the backstory with this kid. So he had like an allergic reaction, like what, in middle school? It's grade nine. He was stung by bees. Yes. But the, 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 the verbiage that J-Lo uses that he, he lost control I totally thought that meant that he shit himself, which I think <laughs> would have, I mean, again, that sucks and it doesn't justify bullying. But in this particular movie, I felt like that the way these bullies are with him, it would have been more believable for me if the kid had shit himself because I was like, okay, like, I, I get why these bullies are doing this, but he just peed himself. It's fine. I mean, bullies going to be bullies. Yeah. That's like, true. They're, they're going to latch into that. But still, I want to say that again. There are two references to, to the, the movie, Wiz. The Wiz. <laughs> uh, this movie is very scholastic, and it's very intelligent about the way it's referencing other classic texts. Oh, it knows pop culture real well. Yeah. So Jason mocks Kevin's EpiPen, referring to it as a penis purse, because that is a thing? I don't because you put your penis in a purse sometimes when you when you detach it right yeah. maybe this yeah. maybe this is old people trying to like write what they think young people say maybe oh boy it's something yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so then we learn about the ninth grade reaction so this gives noah 
He's, he's collecting information. That night, Claire watches Noah tuck his dying uncle into bed while she wears a cami negligee with the highest slit up the side in modern day history. <laughs> which apparently was just JLo's. Yeah, she just owns even it. funnier at this point. That's but hers. Here, here's the thing. Doesn't that make more sense now? Because if you look at any picture of JLo in a dress, literally... They're all slits. Slits up the, yeah. slits up the side. I mean, yeah, what was that? Was it 2000 when she had the famous green dress with like the cleavage slit that just like went right. down to her vagina practically? Oh, yeah. If you look at interviews that she did for this movie, she's wearing like dress versions of this cami. Question. Who do y'all think the audience is for this movie? It's women. It's meant to be women. I was going to bring that up when you guys were talking about Cohen's direction. In a way, it's very savvy, but it... it it just kind of belabors the fact that the erotic thriller is intended for female audiences. I bet you if this came out now after Hustlers, I bet it would do even better. Like, because the reason I brought up like people's perception of JLo is because I was like, I feel like women are the ones that don't, I mean, again, not all women, obviously I don't want to generalize, but like, I feel like it's, when people are bitching about JLo, I feel like it's usually women. And so I feel like now, though, with that she's gotten more cred now because she's done her, you know, once every five to 10 years, like prestigious film, hustlers people are like on her side now so she's like a couple more years of goodwill before she loses it again well as long as she keeps up this goddamn banging body because even in this movie she is in her mid 40s mm-hmm. yes yeah, she can wear whatever the hell she wants because she can pull it off oh yeah, yeah for sure the body is ridiculous in this movie <laughs> Okay, so the next day she oogles Noah's glistening oil-stained muscles while he works on his car, and in return he gives her a cheeky grin, so of course she can't resist inviting him in to dinner. And during the cleanup, he impresses her by suggesting that Homer is a genius equivalent to Bob Dylan and Led Zeppelin. So this confirms to us that Noah is not just fine, but he's also fucking deluded. This is when, um... Like, this is when they're having, like, the discussion. Like, I mean, like, Kristen Chenoweth and the son are just like, what are they talking about? I don't know. This is weird. They're weird. They're nerds. Oh, my God. So weird. Right? This is that conversation? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's in the dining room. Or I, kitchen, I mean. could not stop laughing during this horrible attempt at flirtation. <laughs> it's so awkward. And you can tell that it's one of those, like, we know English literature things. Let's just put that into the script. Well, and it's always him trying too hard. That like the thing is like he's trying too hard, and the film tries too hard to make him a try hard very quickly. And this is getting back to that ninety minute runtime. It doesn't feel natural. He just goes to, or he goes from appearing to immediately being obsessed. There's there's no gestation. Oh, it's just launching no. right into it. Well, yeah, it's like literally the next morning when she's like, when he's like, oh, she might not be interested. He punches the fucking wall. But we'll get there. Yeah, it it doesn't help that this is so clearly her film, so we have no concept of what he's even thinking. So we just see him in these sporadic scenes where he's acting increasingly more crazy, but it's been a couple of hours. Like, there's infatuation, and then, well, I guess this movie is suggesting that there's then full-on homicidal. Well, but then Kristen Chenoweth is like a psychic because she's like, she can't put her finger on it, but something strange about that kid. And I love how they needed that line to assure us that something is wrong with him when there's clearly everything fucking wrong with him at this point. This but. movie does think we are stupid. And normally, normally, that would really bother me. But because the movie is also really stupid, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. care. Yeah. 
You're like, oh, you think I'm stupid? Well, you're stupid. Well, yeah, you're you just want to like, you want to pet the pretty thing and just be like, oh, honey, this, yeah, we're stupid. Sure, we're all stupid. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let's be stupid together. I'd be stupid with JLo. <laughs> so that weekend, Garrett and Kevin embark on a camping trip. So in the film's most notorious scene, Noah stops by to bequeath Claire a first edition of the Iliad, which is a three thousand year old poem that he wait that he found for a buck at a garage, a garage sale. sale. Yeah. So apparently, though, like, so Joe, you found an article. I think it was a BuzzFeed article on this about Cohen defending his because this was not the original script. This was something that Cohen invented for this movie. Yes, and he took a lot of heat for it. This is actually the most famous part of this movie. When you search this movie, this is the scene that comes up. Not the sex scene. Yeah, no, because it's so fucking ridiculous. But the idea was that he was supposed to have actually bought it from like like for a lot of money from a really like from a, like a fancy bookstore and then tell her that he got it at a garage sale. But that wasn't conveyed either. Well, I mean. I feel like we, the audience, are supposed to know, but I also feel like if she is a true classics teacher, she would also know this. And I think, you know, the the movie, again, tries to bend over backwards by her saying like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly accept this is so generous. But at the same time, I don't know why you wouldn't have just picked something like, here's a copy of Jane Eyre, like a book that you might actually be able to find, because there is is no first edition of the Iliad. <laughs> so apparently it's a first edition of Alexander Pope's 1715 translation of the poem. Which is still, I mean... <laughs> yeah, like it's beyond stupid. And Cohen rationalizes including this scene in the film by saying that Noah needed a reason to come over so that he could start putting the moves on her. To which I say, he could literally have come over and given her a fucking apple or pie <laughs> or fuck me pumps well, like no. it didn't have to be a three thousand year old book <laughs> but in that article too because he he's he is apparently a book collector so he that was him putting himself in this movie yes also because this will also be a uh, guzman's delivery of um those kind of shoes are for women trying to be sexy. You don't need to be trying, which again would have been established had we had the deleted scene with Kristen Chenoweth giving her the fuck me pumps Right. right, yeah, the pumps come out of nowhere. She's just, like, looking at them, lo- or J-Lo looks at them just on yes! the ground, and it's like, wait, where did these come from? Why does she have these sexy pumps? Because oh, Christmas Chenoweth gave them to her. But that is a brilliant line, and it's also set up by, you have the close-up on their hands grazing each other. Um, when they when he, when he Ryan Guzman hands the book over, and J-Lo just kind of, like, grabs it, and, like, their hands touch, and it just, like, zooms in super close, and you're like, ooh, sensuality. That's the kind of thing, though, is like, okay, I don't... The movie tries to pause. Okay, she's been cheated on. She is in a low place. He's very sexy. His flirting is not good, and I don't believe for one second that this woman is stupid enough to fall for this shit. But he's just so hot. <laughs> I, I mean, know. that's the thing. <laughs> that's exactly the whole thing. Exactly. Smart people do stupid things. Right, exactly. She's looking at this guy going, this is wrong. I can't do this. This is stupid. It's not that he's a good flirter. It's what you just said. She's in a very vulnerable place. This is a very attractive, well boy but on a man in yeah. real in real ages you like those attractive boys donato huh well i mean you know. <laughs> he does um, live in la there's a lot of them but i i mean if you want to bring up the uh implication that this is based on previous uh misrelationships between uh, teachers and students like that is where this comes in it comes in the fact that like th- they know it's wrong but they still do it anyway yeah 
I think um, I mean I think I think that's why I mean I, I, obviously this is not a part of this movie but like some people like have like public sex because it's like that fear of getting caught is like what turns right. them on. I think he was also cueing you to maybe talk about one of the genesis of this film. <laughs> I was a little bit, but I no, was I was gonna let you take it, Joe, because you found this information. Yeah, there's been suggestions that Barbara Curry, you know, walked by somebody's house in her neighborhood and she saw a boy there and she thought, oh, what if this boy befriends my son, <laughs> but he's a bad boy and so things could stupid. get. You're just like who cares uh but then other people have you know one of the things that she mentioned was also this interest in the media around people like uh mary Kay letourneau who is the teacher who slept with a 12 year old boy she ended up getting pregnant she ended up going to jail she ended up having a conjugal visit and then getting pregnant a second time no no no, no. So, so so basically like she she went to jail and they wanted like the maximum sentence was like six six or seven years and then she got a lighter sentence but on the condition that she never see him again for the rest of her life right and then they, they like they were caught in a car together <laughs> Yeah, and then she got pregnant a second time, so she's had two kids with him. When she gets out, so she then got the maximum sentence, when she gets out, they actually got married, and they only divorced four years ago. No, last year. They got divorced last year. Wow, okay. I know. So part of this is this idea that there there is, unfortunately, a number of different examples in real life where teachers have inappropriate relationships with their students that are based on power dynamics and this film you know it wants to tease that kind of poisoned apple storyline but it also doesn't which is why they make him nearly 20 years old which is why they make it so that he transfers into her class like she sleeps with him before she realizes that but that but that's because if you don't do it that way the i the audience isn't gonna sympathize or empathize with JLo's character at all. No, but see, I don't agree with that at all, because if you look at any of the erotic horror, any of the erotic thrillers from the 80s, they all have, like, men doing this. So unless we're to believe that there is a gender dynamic where we can't sympathize with a woman who does this, I mean, none of those are, like, the men are never teachers, they're always fucking lawyers or whatever. Sorry, let me rephrase. That's what the studio is gonna say and that's unfortunately i think there is a gender dynamic is where they would blame her for this if he was let's say 17 well they i mean they kind of do if when you go into the actual classroom dynamics that were mentioned and you know jayla is the teacher and you get her i guess principal saying like you have to get your shit together and they the other guy is saying like uh, i think it's like a gym teacher spot sees them in the gym and he says you put your hands on him. But, like, clearly Ryan Guzman has his hands on her. She is still getting blamed for all this, yes. And and even Kristen Chenoweth has that line where it's like, well, I look at this picture, of the picture of them fucking, and we know he's a psychopath, but no one else is going to see it that way. Right, exactly. And I, I think talking about the age of Ryan Guzman and, you know, noting he's 26 playing a 19-year-old, maybe they did that to kind of distract you from the fact that he is only meant to be 19 and in school and she's the teacher because you can easily get lost in the fact that, you know, Ryan Guzman's almost 30 and he looks like it in this film, despite who he's playing. So that might've been a sneaky tactic by the studio to cast Guzman and try to throw you off the scent of, you know, what a quote unquote normal 19 year old would look like. Maybe. (laughs) It's okay to lust after him. He's legal age and she's not a bad person. So really, you can indulge in this fantasy of fucking these super hot people. (laughs) Yes. But we are 15 minutes into this movie. 
Yes. Okay, so the next day, Claire and Vicky go on their double date, and this goes spectacularly off the rails when Claire's date, Benny, who is played by Buffy's Bailey Chase. Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah, it's uh, from season four. He's one of... uh, The Initiative? Yeah, one of the Initiative guys. So he insults classics in favor of getting students into the workforce more quickly, and she responds by angrily quoting J.K. Rowling's net worth before storming off. So, (laughs) feminism! Yay! Yeah. Hilarious line drop. It's pretty good, but it's also like, Jesus Christ, is that really the best you could do? Well, and also, the male chauvinist character they introduce in that double date is so fucking comical. Mm -hmm. Just to... It's... A caricature of just saying the word firecracker and just smiling as he knows that he's belittling this woman and it's just like holy fuck i also love the um oh classics fancy like okay <laughs> like you're, oh you touch a book you smart <laughs> it's also a little bit weird that he calls her a firecracker considering that she is latina and that is like <laughs> Right, yeah, like, kind of... It's almost like a racial slur. But, okay, then this is also knock number three on her, because, oh, she just had a terrible date, which is why, when she goes home, what happens? So she nurses a glass of wine, but does refrain from eating a plate of cookies, and then she gets lured next door with a pressing question about the dangers of uncooked poultry. Do they even say salmonella in this? No, he just asks whether or not it's okay to eat part of a cooked chicken. He literally asks to eat raw chicken. Like, that is his way of seducing her over. Uh, can I just eat this raw chicken for dinner? Is that okay? When you think of raw chicken, do you think of boning? Well, I mean, maybe you don't want people to answer that question, but... (laughs) I mean, I'm sure people think, like, conflate raw chicken with vaginas a lot, right? We're going to no. stop you there, you gold star gay. <laughs> As a straight man, no. <laughs> this, I can offer a perspective that is not usually on this it show. Doesn't look like I, can, I can say no. Okay, that's fine. No. I'll, 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 go ahead. So rather than just use the uncooked poultry line, he also describes her as sexy, and he begins to kiss her, despite the fact that she keeps saying no, and she keeps saying that his advances are wrong. Just in case you are wondering, folks. <laughs> sexual assault it's wrong like she has like such emphasis it's wrong it's so intense and over the top i love it yeah it's... but it's also while she's like struggling with elation and she's struggling with the fact that it feels so good yeah and then it's... he gets like we get full-on like hand in her the front of her underwear shot yeah i mean look, so, do y'all find this sex scene particularly sexy i actually do despite the fact that you're like oh god this is that like it starts icky and then you're just supposed to be overwhelmed by the passion. But the the result is surprisingly graphic, I find. And it's funny because obviously it's PG-13, so there's no nudity. Either. No, it's not PG-13. Oh, wait, it's not PG-13? It is rated Because R. we get tits later. Radar. Oh, you're right. We do get tits. Sorry. My bad. It's okay. Uh, it's rewinding. I mean, I think part of it is just that J-Lo probably had a no nudity clause. Yeah, I, I don't That think, makes more sense. I don't think she's ever shown her tits, but I do love... I mean, love. It's a strong word. But I like the shot where it's just him holding her boobs and like massage he's not holding them he's kneading them yeah. like fucking dough <laughs> they are bread that he is kneading into space <laughs> like that is the most aggressive massage i have ever seen yeah, like it frankly looked uncomfortable but i would argue that okay number one there's like no nudity but it's incredibly sexy yeah. i also love how it's again it's all about j-lo it's all about him like pleasuring her in certain ways and there's this hilarious shot where he's just shirtless 
kind of like standing over her and he just takes it, her hand and puts it on his abs yes. and he just looks at her like yeah he's like come on touch these abs I worked out a lot for them the least you could do is touch them it is such a hilarious shot of just him so happy with himself looking at JLo and like you know what like honestly if JLo is impressed by you you should be happy it's so silly but you also do get a lot of shots of his ass which again generous considering the director we're working with mm-hmm. yeah so they have sexy sex and then in the morning, she hurriedly clarifies that the affair was a mistake and that she was vulnerable and that he's very sweet. So he responds in a totally normal fashion by punching a wall, you know, as you do. I mean, it like there's no subtlety in this film whatsoever. And like, it, just like with that fucking son, the mood swings that go through the boys in this movie is nuts. Mm-hmm. They all have male PMS. Yeah. So at dinner, when Kevin and Garrett have returned from their camping trip, Claire struggles to retain her composure. She drops a pie, which is a metaphor, and then she barely keeps it together as Noah makes quips like, it got pretty wet here, and the immortal line, love your mother's cookies. Mm. Classic. Like, straight up, this is when the film just goes above itself. And yeah. again, I don't know if these lines were written to be seriously kind of disturbing. That feels like a line added for the trailer. Like, we need a selling line that we can just drop into a trailer. Oh and my god, that, that needs the... to be the poster tagline. <laughs> <laughs> he loves your mother's cookies. <laughs> I mean, like, it should have been, quite honestly. It's what everyone... So I will say I hosted a drinking game of this in Brooklyn one time, and... Number one, it sold out. We had a 60-seat theater. It sold out 100%. I didn't have to really, like, promote it that much. So that means there actually is a contingency of people who love this movie for its midnight aspects. Mm -hmm. And number two, my shot rule was, obviously, when he says, I love your mother's cookies. And before I could even – I was, like, reading the rules out loud. And before I could even get to it, everyone else quoted it. And I was just like, do you all, like, really love this movie, too? So I was very impressed to not only, uh, like, find people that loved it, but, but they were that emphatic. It. Yeah, knew it. They were emphatic in quoting it. Also, like, man, that thing sold so much alcohol. But, yeah, I was very happy with myself because I was like, I thought I would be the only one excited about this. And I filled a theater of people who were just as excited about The Boy Next Door. Okay, so as Noah watches from the shadows, Claire walks Garrett out, and he argues that small people do stupid things. So just in case you really couldn't get the message behind the film, they want you to know that J-Lo is a smart person, and she has just done this one stupid thing, which means that they should totally reassert their heteronormative uh, nuclear family relationship by the end of the film. Yep. Yep. Is this whole thing just a metaphor for cancel culture? (laughs) No, it's that you should forgive and forget even if someone cheats on you and tries to ruin your life. Oh, okay. But if they sleep with you and are hot, you should probably kill them with a car engine. That seems backwards. Right? I, y'all, I, ugh, that's, this car engine kill is, I love it. I love it so, I forgot, I honestly forgot that it happened. And so when it happened, I was like, yes! I mean, I, I will say, like, oddly enough, it feels like an Adam Wingard film at times. I don't know why, but it just feels so much like a your next kind of thing. Just in those sparse moments, you get the brutality out of nowhere and you're just kind of like, oh, right, it is rated R. You're right. Yeah, now I remember. Well, I mean, also remember if they say fuck more than twice or if they say fuck in a sexual way, it's automatic R. Right. And you're also not going to get a PG-13 with the word continent. Right. That's true. Yeah. That is very true. So it's all language. And, and the and oh, and um, the, the, the I at the end, that also gave it the R rating. 
Oh, so good. <laughs> but we're not there yet. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. Maybe. One day. So on the next day, Noah arrives at Claire's English class, and he is quoting book passages like a lunatic, and he is dressed in tie and cardigan. Well, he wins over the class immediately. Like He goes to the front of the class and like does like a lecture almost in front of her and the principal, and the whole class is like, yeah, new kid. I disagree. I think that they think he is crazy. Yeah, that's how I read it. Oh. I read it that everyone's just laughing at him like, who the hell is this kid? And also... How does he get into the class? Because of the class transfer slip that he faked, and he somehow hacked into JLo's computer <laughs> mm-hmm. and stole it? He's yeah. a genius. He's a genius child. He's a prodigy. Yeah, we're meant to assume that he has somehow gotten access to her computer when he was there during the dinner, but that scene... Like, it, it doesn't seem possible. So she she's properly freaked out, and then she notices that Noah is shadowing her on the ride home, and then he matter-of-factly reminds her, I'm not following you, Claire. I live next door. <laughs> <laughs> Which could be nefarious, but it's also just a fact. It's true. Also, I mean, really, though, the fact that she gave him, but even from the very beginning, that he has her cell phone number, is just like, come on, bitch. Like, it's your son's friend. Like, let, let him let them play together. Well, it's because she's worried about him. Yeah, and it's also not your son's friend. It's Uncle Bob's, your neighbor's nephew, oh, yeah. or whatever it is. It's right. like, this, we don't, yeah. This grandpa man with this, ne- this nephew. <laughs> yeah, who literally appears in two scenes in this yeah. movie. It's so crazy. So Noah takes Kevin into the woods to shoot oranges and trash talk his dad, which uh, leads Kevin to then berate his father over dinner, telling him that, as you mentioned, Matt, life has been happening in his absence (laughs) and that he's no longer interested in computer coding because he's taking up boxing. This is a thing that the film is now introducing. So the next day, Kevin pathetically hits the punching bag and then he somehow mysteriously suffers an allergic reaction out yeah. of nowhere. It's so weird because it's like, is he going into some kind of shock because he overworks himself? Because what he's doing is he's in this frenzy hitting the punching bag over and over, and he won't stop because he's so mad at his dad at this point. I thought he was hyperventilating. Is that what it was? No. I think you're meant to assume that he is actually, like, touched peanuts or something right so the score for this movie is kind of all over the place too it's very um it's it's like really trying to direct you on how to feel right i I, before like he saves him i thought that he was like trying to get him to like have some kind of anaphylactic reaction yeah because that would actually make sense like he's trying to get rid of obstacles in his way to j-lo and the son is one of them but instead no he uses Chekhov's EpiPen to save him right but i would also argue that he needs the kid because the kid is his in j-lo wants him out the son wants him around he needed the kid at that point so all he was trying to do is get him pissed off enough to berate the father even more and somehow convince j-lo not to go back with john corbett well and so you have the ominous music though playing like when it's happening and that's why you're supposed to believe like oh he's trying to like do something to this kid but then of course you have the heroic music when he rescues him and i just wanted to point out too because we have two composers on this film one of them is randy edelman who's in most of cohen's films but also like such classics like ghostbusters 2 kindergarten cop and a legitimate classic my cousin Vinny. but then the other composer is horror queer's returning guest nathan barr who's done all of eli roth's films 
so one of them did all the kind of happy jaunty yeah. stuff and then the other yeah. one did all the scary bits pretty much <laughs> it's like when you bring in a two directors or like you have a director take over and you can tell which bits are made by the other person yeah mm-hmm. uh, except for our film last week i was gonna say we had this discussion last week with all true leaders die <laughs> oh okay fair yeah, yeah, yeah wait who else who else directed that? it's lucky mckee and chris syverson chris syverson being the director of i know who killed me oh i didn't know syverson came in on that yes he did you know that interesting it's not a takeover they they co-direct yeah, it's a co-directing it. effort yeah why did i not know that interesting because it okay. never gets talked about everyone yeah. always just calls it a lucky mckee film right exactly it's okay very cool. odd. Yeah. moving on yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is when Claire confronts Noah in the boxing gym uh, because he has sent her flowers at work and she's very worried that someone is going to figure shit out. I, I'm busy with physical education. I believe you're familiar with that subject. <laughs> Zing. Zing. Because <laughs> he's talking about sex, y'all. That's what he means by physical education. It's so fucking dumb. I, again, who calls this movie boring? <laughs> I mean, it's just, you're like, oh, wow, the drama. He sent her flowers, and then they have an accusatory talk in the gym. I guess, yeah. If you're gauging it against something like Fatal Attraction, like, there's no bunny boiling, There's no you know? bunny, no. There's there's no killing Julianne Moore in the glass. Uh... Hand that rocks the cradle, yes. Yeah, thank you. I do love how they slowly build up Ryan Guzman. At, well, slowly, maybe not the like, word, what the fuck but... are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, okay, sorry. How they quickly just... Yeah. introduce the fact that he's an expert marksman because let's address the fact that he shoots every orange like mm-hmm. first shot so number one he is a crack shot and number two when JLo meets him in the gym he's full-on like mma mode he's not just hitting a punching bag he's like throwing and spinning sidekicks and crap like that so oh, like yeah. Yeah. they just I... initially just they waste no time just like showing this guy being a physical beast a normal film yes would have a slow bill where it's like oh it's he's gradually escalating in his obsession blah 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 this movie didn't give a fuck and it just does it immediately which i guess maybe you could argue okay well that kind of kills momentum in the second act because there's nowhere else to go except for you're just waiting for this climax to happen but i don't know i i appreciate the efficiency with which this movie handles this character <laughs> efficiency <laughs> So Kevin awkwardly asks Hardware Store Allie out, and she turns him down until Noah appears in the background, at which point she agrees to go to the fall fling with him. And after a boozy dinner date, Claire refuses Garrett's advances because she's not ready to jump back into things. So these are things that happen in this film. And then it's kind of important, but it's also not. <laughs> no, because it leads to this line. I, I, I think all my notes are just lines. I don't even know. But when... <laughs> When Noah finds her, finds out that Garrett crashed on the couch, and he's like, what a fucking whore you are. Are you trying to play me, Claire? Again, zero to 60. No. Absolutely no sense in any kind of reaction. Yeah, so basically, Noah sees the car outside mm-hmm. and yes. knows that, you know, John Corbett has stayed over. And the very next morning, J-Lo is just walking to her car to drive her son to school and Ryan Guzman, he speeds up in his giant pickup truck and slams on the brakes right in front of the driveway. And it's like, you live next door, kid. Yeah, I was. that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, did he just drive out his driveway <laughs> and somehow rev two feet over there? But I think he's also driving from the wrong side of the road. He is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, and then, like, there's this weird montage where, like, he's reminiscing about their lovemaking. So oh, he... yes. He's shadow boxing. He also, 
still looks like he's dry humping the bed a little bit. Yes, absolutely. He oh, he is a dry humper. That is what he is. But I, my favorite line, though, is when he's yelling at J-Lo and he says all this stuff and calling her a whore and stuff like that. He just looks at her. He's like, you know what? Game on. And I'm just like, wait, what? What game is on? What, yeah, there's what? never a game here. <laughs> She isn't playing with you. Like, you're playing with yourself at this point. That was the most douche bro this film ever got. That line of game on, and I'm just like, Jesus oh Christ. My God. But I, but then he also does this amazing thing where he gets back into the truck, and then he just sits there and revs the engine. Like, he's trying to sexy lure Kevin away. Like, don't go with your mom, you pussy. Get in my giant big dick truck. How could you hate this movie? So at school, Jason Zimmer, because he's still a character in this movie, he yep. tries to bully Kevin. This is your Wiz reference. Literally, he's... I'm sorry. Yes, I will take this. The bully walks up and says, yo, your movie was on Turner Classics <laughs> last night. The Wiz. Ha ha ha. And I'm like, this kid's just watching Turner Classic movies like in high school as the skateboard bully? Like, uh. I've got my PVR set. Whenever I see it, I come to school the next day. Oh, uh, yeah. Throw it in I your face. I saw the Wiz again last night. How'd you like it, Wiz boy? Like, what the fuck it is something yeah so this is when noah loses all control and he attacks jason and he fractures his skull against a locker and vicky tries to uh insert herself into the mix and have we even said that she's the vice principal have we like mentioned that we have not no okay so she's the vice principal at this school (laughs) yeah I mean, the film forgets that at a certain point anyway, so that's fine. Okay, so she has a line here where she's like, we didn't have your transcripts. And I'm like, why not? Why didn't you have his transcripts from when he transferred school? She's like, I went digging and found your old records. It's like, well, why did you have them already? How did he get there? Like, why do you have a stranger on campus who looks 27 years old? Security not alert? She at least does have some agency here, which I appreciate. Like, she at least gets to do something. But then, of course, we get this wonderful line reading where he just calls her a dried up, dirty fucking cunt. And it is. Also, she just takes it and he walks out. (laughs) Well, she doesn't take it, Trey. She looks stunned because she is Chris and Chenua. She is like four feet tall. And this guy who is probably 200 pounds of solid muscle is in her face (laughs) calling her a cunt. We're forgetting that like when that scene starts and he gets taken into the uh, office and talks to Kristen Chenoweth. She's behind the desk, like, yelling at him, and he kind of has his back turned to her, just looking away, like, and I forget what she says. It's basically along the lines of, like, you can't just go around almost, like, killing kids, and he just looks, like, shoots a glance, like, whatever. Like, it's the most preteen fucking bullshit. It's so funny, Don't tell me what to do. Yeah, exactly. That's the exact kind of line delivery, and he just won't make eye contact, and it's just whole just like, whatever, man, I don't have to listen to you, and I'm just like, what is this movie? You're not my mom. My mom's dead. She killed herself. (laughs) Well, no, we don't know that at this point yet, do we? No. Okay, cool. No, wait. Yeah, we, the, we will. That's Uncle Bob up. says, like, one of the first... Well, we know we, we know they're dead, but we don't know that she oh, killed yeah. herself. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Because yeah. that's a reveal the movie's playing for later. You know, that reveal we're all waiting for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the, with the, the car crash scene that costs, like, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Of Rob Cohen's own money. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. <laughs> so, at this point, Vicky expels him. 
which is probably the right move to do. There's also a deleted scene where JLo gets mad because she apparently, in, in, in one deleted scene, asks her to let it go and drop it. And then after she expels him, then she gets mad at her and says, I asked you to let it go, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, they were, they were right to cut that then. Yeah, it, it's unnecessary. So uh, because we mentioned Chekhov's dance, we've got to <laughs> go to the dance. So even though it... it it's like we have that whole scene where Kevin asks Allie out. It doesn't matter because the only thing we need to know about this fucking dance is that Noah lures Claire into the boys' bathroom where he has graffitied, I fucked Claire Peterson in giant <laughs> letters on the wall. Like, you would need a stepladder, giant letters on the wall. <laughs> he then sexually assaults her a second time against the door, prompting her to knee him in the balls. Good shot. But I mean, again, this is your dry humping scene. And it is, it is just a close-up on his ass as he gyrates against her. Mm-hmm. I'm not complaining. I was going to say, you, you liked it. I mean, the problem is, is that every time this movie wants you to feel sexy feelings below the belt for him, it's when he is literally sexually assaulting a woman. It's, yeah. it's a conflicting feeling, folks. And also, his entrance into the bathroom, where he's just hiding behind a stall door, yeah. and he just walks around, he's like, hey, Claire. Like, his entrances and exits from scenes are yeah. incompetently amazing. He might as well have a cape. Yeah, 100%. Yep. <laughs> but also, what what would have happened if she had to sent in a custodian? He's just lurking in the stall, like... He would have dry humped it. He just had to dry hump something. I don't know. You know what? I haven't dry humped anybody in 24 hours. Not really me. It's either this or my uncooked chicken. And you don't want salmonella. It's true. That was the other tagline for this movie. (laughs) Beware of the salmonella. So this is when she tries to assert some agency and Claire tells him that no one will believe him because she is the authority figure. But then when she goes home that night, she can't sleep. She's tossing and turning. So of course she has to go and look out the window and see what he's up to. And we get an uncomfortable scene where hardware store Allie is topless and she's giving him head and he's just like, yeah, Claire, look at this preteen girl giving me head. Cool. I just have titties in all caps. Like, yeah. I mean, notebook. can we pay appreciation to the uh, the window play in this film? It, uh, when they're doing it first flirty, it's just hilarious watching naked Brian Guzman and almost naked J-Lo having that banter back and forth where they're both like peering around the curtain and they won't look fully to like make it known. But then, yeah, you get this other window play where now we have the nastiness of it and ryan guzman just getting ahead and looking out the window staring at claire and it's like oh my god you really feel bad for that home depot girl too because like they just like she's in two scenes and the second no she's in three scenes and the third one it's like also please take off your top and give head to a guy who could not give two shits who is not even paying attention to you at all no no This is how you know that Noah is bad news, girls. But also, kudos on Ryan Guzman to sell the shit out of those scenes. I mean, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> the crazy eyes, all of it. He is such an integral part of this film. I don't know if it works with another actor doing this role. I guarantee you it does, but I like that you're giving yeah, I was gonna him credit. Say, I, I like your passion. I'm giving but... <laughs> no. I'm giving Guzman credit. But here's the thing: if if you've seen him play other roles, he's usually a little bit dead. So this is arguably his most emotive role. He plays a guy with a handicapped son in nine one one, and he has depth. 
Sure. I love you championing these sitcoms and crap. It's not a sitcom. It's an hour I know, long it's not, I know. Episodic. Jennifer Love bad. Hewitt is in it. If it's good enough for her, it's good enough for all of us. Oh. Is she really? Yeah. Yeah. She came in in the second season. No, yeah. She, she replaced Connie Britton's character. Yeah. Because Connie, Connie Britton got better shit to do. <laughs> Why are we talking so much about 911? It's really good. No, do you see new- what I have to deal with every week, man? So you know what? In the morning, Claire finds her classroom littered with literally hundreds of black and white pictures of her sexy sex scene with Noah. Okay, there is one legitimately good shot in this movie, and I love it, and I think it's really good, and I'm being totally serious. It's the Dutch angle. See how we're doing that again? Mm-hmm. Of the string of photos that's hung up, which, by the way, that took some time. Oh, yeah. He was in there at, like, 5 a.m. Oh, for sure. doesn't make any sense, because he was getting head into early in the morning. Yeah. But the angle, like, where it's, like, her panicking, and, like, it's a shot of her with the string of pictures, and it's, like, this crooked angle. I thought, oh, that's actually a really cool shot. Good for you, Rob Cohen. I think it would be better if the scene didn't go on for 5 to 10 It goes on forever! <laughs> it's forever. Like, someone needed to go in and be like, oh, hey, did the editor fall asleep while he was cutting this particular scene? Because she's just scrambling and scrambling, and then the principal's knocking on the door like, hey, when are you letting these kids in? And who could care? Well, because it's trying to build suspense. Even that shot of the key going into the door, and it's like, ooh, is he going to catch her? Is he going to catch her? And she apparently cleans all this up mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah, impossibly. Yeah. Also, I do love how there's literature references on the chalkboard drawn I, like, I don't know if you noticed it but i, I don't know if he uh, wrote them there or not but i think he did no he did yeah he did and so you had the literary references and the draped pictures everywhere and yes how did she clean them up so quickly i just love too that the printer on her desk which is still oh, yeah. them out. It's, it's still spitting them out still it just spitting them going. Up, but it didn't appear to be attached to a computer so i was like <laughs> is he printing these from another room because that is some swim fan nonsense right there well he's able to hack her computer the only thing we're missing is a fucking pager yes <laughs> this movie would have benefited from a pager too it really would lie. have and again listeners go back to listen to some fan where joe explains to me how pagers work oh <laughs> <Aww>, trace <laughs> he's a sweet baby angel he's such a job yeah anyway so then of course what happens next okay so after school stupid idiot kevin angrily yells at his father before realizing that the brake lines have been cut in their car that they're driving at high speeds down the hill and kevin crashes the car into water barrels on the side of the road and then he and dad make up and it's beautiful and that's where the movie ends this is our first of two car chase scenes in this movie which again i don't think were in the original script Mm -mm. cohen's specific language was he couldn't do a movie without a car chase which guess what rob you fucking can (laughs) also you could have put that money somewhere else like j-lo's wardrobe yeah i was just gonna say give (laughs) j-lo some new damn clothes or show chris and shamath get murdered (laughs) right well there's that yeah Yeah, okay that's but okay uh, and matt i know you mentioned this so i'll just kind of like really quickly so basically uh Rob Cohen, uh, he called in some favors from people he worked with on The Fast and the Furious who gave him a discount so he could shoot this and the future car crashing that's coming up. But this caused him to run out of budget for the film's climax. After a test screening of a rough cut, Cohen felt that Claire should stab Noah in the eye, which I guess wasn't the original cut. And so Cohen basically, like Blum said, no, we're not going to give you money to reshoot this. And Cohen went to Universal Studios um, and asked for an additional three hundred grand. Uh, he spent the money on reshooting the love scene. And the climax, including getting the fake head for Guzman, which, record, which reportedly cost $24,000 to make. Ooh, $24,000 head? For a head. 
What? Did they need to make a fake penis for him? Come on. I don't know, man. It is so fucking bizarre. Okay, so guess what? This scene doesn't fucking matter in the grand scheme of things, aside from the fact that there's a slight fender bender that Claire notices when she comes home, yeah. except that it doesn't matter because the big thing is that Noah is there with her husband and son, and he requests her presence at 2 a.m., and when she tells him to fuck off, he counters with, I'd rather fuck you. Because you know what? I feel like we all feel that way when J-Lo tells us to fuck off. It's like, I'd rather fuck you. I was surprised they gave her that line. You know, Megan, you know me hearing famous actresses say the word fuck. Like, I'm really into that. I think this is the only fuck she really gets in the movie, too. Yeah, probably. Because Kristen Chenoweth gets all of them. But what makes that scene is Guzman's character bantering with uh, the husband and son from the other room. Like, he asks one for a soda, and then he goes back to Claire, talks to her. Ask the dad for a, a, or like if he wants a beer or something. Goes back to like harassing Claire. Yeah, it, he can just turn on a dime. He's so evil. Ryan Guzman is effective. That ass is effective. Jesus. All right. So uh, she does go to his house at two a.m. as requested, and she demands to know what he thinks is going to happen, which is a very good question because, like, if we're to believe that he is actually turning twenty and she is actually a middle-aged woman with a child and an ex-husband, like. Where does he think this is going? What is the nature of their relationship? And he confesses that uh, he'll leave the video of their sexy sex time secret, but he's never going to let her go. So she slaps him and leaves. Cool. Okay. Good slap. Yeah. So the next day, this is when Claire comes clean. So she goes to Vicky. She tells her everything. She shows her the picture. And the two women come up with a plot that we don't know because it's supposed to be very mysterious because we see Noah following Claire's car through the traffic. And then all of a sudden he drives up next to her. (gasps) And shit, it's not her. It's Vicky driving the car. Guys, I was shocked by this development. I was not shocked by this development at all. But their plan, A, it is a digital video. Mm-hmm. And they assume that he does not have copies of it, which apparently, by the way, he doesn't. Apparently not. Because <laughs> he's a moron as well. Wow. He didn't do computer coding like Kevin. Well, and like she just gets into his computer. Like it's it's all so easy. I mean, of course, he has like the, the mural of her like on the right, wall. Yeah, I, we should say that he has a layer dedicated to Claire. Yes, he has a basement shrine. Exactly. He's printed out pictures of her and he's place them like a puzzle on his wall somehow and it's a, it makes up her giant Im- it's so fucking weird well and he seemingly has access to her house because he's got pictures of her sleeping in a variety of different rooms which might explain the hacking of the computer yeah end. so maybe he could have done that anytime and for such a fucking genius he has everything laid out on his desktop not only the folder called achilles that has all of her photos and videos <laughs> Get it? Because it's his, his weakness. I get it. And it's like okay. mythology. It's classics. classics. <laughs> it's like classics. <laughs> classics! Um, but he also has the schematics for the two cars that he fucked up. Like, just like but not only that, that's the only stuff on his desktop. <laughs> yeah. So it's not even like it's littered with other things she could possibly be clicking. There are three things on his desktop, and it's all things that implicate him for murder. Yeah, like, let's be honest. A boy who looks like that and who's got the raging hormones that is causing him to veer back and forth with wild mood swings, he would have pornography on that desktop. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It'd, it'd be in a folder called Homework, and then it would have his, like, you know. Yeah, <laughs> be like Jane Austen references over, like hardcore fucking (laughs) oh the iliad gets me so hard 
So he has 177 photos of her as well as the sex video. She deletes all of that and then she gets scared by the uncle who is still in this movie except only for this one scene and it's not important so she leaves. Right, where's he been the entire time? He was in the hospital. Okay, and he's just randomly got home? Yeah, that's why she invites him over for dinner so frequently because she knows that he'll be alone. So that's why he tries to eat raw chicken like a fucking caveman. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Because he knows how to break and enter. He knows how to shoot a gun. He knows how to box, but he doesn't know how to microwave a chicken. Which is literally, if we all saw Black Christmas, you just put it in the oven and you wait until it's done. It's that easy. Ham, who knew? <laughs> all right. So we get a faux scare uh, that follows because, of course, Vicky has been exposed at this point, And we see a very dramatic shot of Noah driving over the on-ramp and turning around because he's got to get home before she finds his creepy serial killer den. And so J-Lo is hiding at home with her knife. Good shot. I like this shot, too. But it's like, why can't Kevin open the fucking door? Oh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because, no, because no, yeah, we think it's Noah, but oops, no, it's her son. And there hasn't even been, like, a previous mention that the door gets stuck. It's just Kevin <laughs> taking a really long time with that door. Like, Kevin, you are the worst. You can't even get into your own fucking house. Goddamn mood He's swings. and a terrible ca- I hate this character so much, you guys. I wanted him to die. <laughs> but then, of course, it's like... Vicky's on the phone with her. Yeah, so Vicky's on the phone, and it, you know, it seems like things are okay. She's like, whatever. And then uh, she ends up tracking down the detective who was in charge of Noah's case. Don't really understand where this came from. Like, how did she find this guy? How did she convince him to talk to her about a file? Also, how does he not think that she is in, or not in danger or something? He, He literally accompanies her to the wreck of mm. a previous car where Noah is under like suspicion for things. Yeah. yeah. And he just looks and he's like, are you sure you're okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. And this, but like nervously like skittish around. He's just like, ah, cool. And we never see him again. Nope. And we get the flashback to the actual car accident. I think you also glossed over that Chris and Chinowith gets hit in the face with a baseball bat. Well, I was literally about to say that. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's just the... The wording of it was challenging, so I was going to suggest we see all of this, and then we get that Vicky has not survived her phone call with Claire. So at this point, Claire is then lured to Vicky's house, where she discovers a cat. Okay, wait, a fucking cat scare in 2015. (laughs) What are we doing? Was there a previous mention of the cat? I'm trying to think. Yes, when we see... There was, When we see Noah giving his serial killer monologue to Vicky... Where uh, right before he lures Claire with the fake okay. phone call, we actually see a cat sitting on the counter next to him. Also, in the deleted scene where she gives her the fuck me pumps and they're walking through the barn, the cat is in a basket in the barn staring at them and they pet it. There is so much deleted. In, in this 90 second scene. <laughs> Chekhov's pussy. I know. There's so much setup in that one scene. It's nuts. God, I can't believe that they cut out the cat. How rude. But then, like, because okay, so because I don't remember exactly how this happens. So the cat, you know, scares her. But then Vicky's body comes from like where? what? Flying down the fucking stairs? <laughs> Is this a Jason Voorhees movie? Wasn't it like a closet? Yeah, but it like flew open. It flew open and like the body like it like sprung out on her. So we're meant to believe what that he shoved both Vicky's body and the cat into a closet in the anticipation. Cat's not in the closet. Yeah, the cat's just there. 
So the cat just happens to be standing around waiting for J-Lo to come up at this yes. quintessential moment right as the door is about to fall open, revealing a body. Yes. Well, I, I feel like she hits the door and that's what jostles the body uh, a freer right. and it falls out. I don't know. I'm, I'm doing some heavy lifting here. Okay. I mean, uh, really, at the end of the day, all we need to know, Vicky's dead from questionable injuries there's a chest it's like it's like on her tit like she has like a bloody wound on her tit know what it was it was the fuck me pump she got impaled by the heel of the fuck me see then okay that would have worked though because that's a single white female homage i like it all right in the remake that's how we'll do it i cannot believe that we don't get to see her die i'm like cheated by that's my honestly my one complaint with this movie Yeah, like, if you're going to get the money to do all that other stuff, why not just get a little bit more? Well, that's the thing, is I wonder if they were like, you know what, we've got to use our budget expeditiously, and we can only justify spending it on a one, maybe two car chases. Well, but he, he clearly chose to do that instead of filming her death. Yeah, I, which just proves to me that Rob Cohen failed this fucking movie and failed his test, because if you think that you have to have a car chase in it, but you don't need to show a murder. You you have done wrong by the genre, sir. Do you think Rob Cohen's fucked a car? Maybe um, just the exhaust pipe. Oh, he yeah. watches that Southland Tales scene where the two cars fuck each other. He probably has that in yeah. his porno. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I would have gone curious. with Crash myself, but yeah. Oh, yeah, there you, that too. Oh, okay. <laughs> that too? Like, that's not the rational response and <laughs> yours is? You have to remember that Trace has very specific references that he will bring. <laughs> I've also never seen Crash, so... Oh my god, I can't. I know I'm, I'm I'll get back on my Cronenberg, it's fine. Okay. So Noah then wrestles her out of the car at gunpoint before she can call the police, and at this point he admits that his mother killed herself because his father was cheating on her, and then he killed his cheating father and his father's mistress, who is actually the woman that we saw in the flashback when she was talking to the detective. And that's important because that's why he's crazy. <laughs> he snapped. But is it like what does this scene actually do for us other than confirm that he has already killed people? Like, are we meant to believe that this is the thing that set him off i would say the mother's death the mother's death is the thing that set him off i would assume so lazy well like i feel like they had to shoehorn a motivation in because they came up with the erotic thriller arc yeah but then forgot like oh there should probably be a reason why our killer is crazy like even like looking at like hey i I reference fatal attraction looking at fatal attraction they don't they don't ever give a reason for her i guess maybe she's bipolar i don't don't remember i mean you know i'm not saying you have to i i just think the film gets to a point where it itself was like so why the fuck is this happening? And then they had to do it themselves. But it also feels like a bit of an excuse. Like, you can't just have this super hot guy be a killer. He has to have this fucked up, poor little boy damaged by his mother's death backstory. Like, it, it feels, again, like a bit of a weird gendered thing. Like, if he was a girl with glasses and ponytail. I mean, we're giving this movie a lot of thoughts when the movie didn't think at all. So Right. And and again, it's so short that they didn't have time to develop any of this. And they never had any time to develop any of this. And that being said, though, I actually do like the climax, like this, this barn set piece. I actually do think it's pretty well staged. I could have done for a little bit more fighting or like a little bit more scrappiness between J-Lo and Guzman. But like overall, I think it's well done. Yeah, because this is it. We are now at our climax, and the movie is nearly over. Like, we are not spending a lot more time here. So he takes her to the nearby barn, the 
the barn that has been teased repeatedly in this deleted scene. And, <laughs> and not the movie itself. Not the movie itself. We have literally never seen this barn before. Oh, because he, he, I love how he gets her there with like the, the weird phone call of Kristen Chenoweth's voice where it's like a radio like, Claire, I need to see you. Come over. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, it's, it's Vicky Stephen Hawking voice. <laughs> but like, there's a line though where... um. Oh, God. Like, the sun gets called, and it's like, oh, you know Vicky's barn? Yeah, let's go there, or something. Yeah, everyone knows where Vicky's barn is. It, like, every character is like, oh, yeah, Vicky's barn. Yeah, we've been there a bunch of times. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's where the cat is, right? In the basket? Yep, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Oh, the engine block. We know the engine block. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. It's hanging up above things, like, ready to fall on them. Yeah, Mom always warned me about that engine block. So both Garrett and Kevin are tied up here, and Claire tries to reason with Noah. You know, she she tries to placate him and go along with his madness, and then she hits him in the face with a crowbar or some other kind of weapon. That I wrote a Kevin, wrench. Okay, it it yeah it was it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. She hits him in the face with something, and then that doesn't stop him. He just tosses her around for a little bit. But really, just a little bit, because then we're already lighting this barn on fire with gasoline. We're shooting Garrett in the chest. And at this point, it's time for her to finally use Chekhov's EpiPen. EpiPen! So she stabs him in the eye with the EpiPen. And then when he gets a little bit closer, because apparently that's not gonna... Like, he howls, admittedly, but then she still has to dig her finger into the wound. I love that. Like, I, I, I have, like, um, thumb in his pussy eye. It is yep. grody, oh, it is gross, so and gross. I love it. Yep, pretty good, pretty good. So, at this point, Kevin has managed to free himself, and he tries to help out, but of course he's totally fucking useless and is immediately put down and at this point claire kind of lures noah away from kevin before he can do any further damage and she drops that suspended car engine on him and you both like this i wanted a headshot agree no no, no. i'm with you 100 percent. i wish it went for the head and i wish there was more splatter i wanted like final destination style like yeah. rube yeah. Gold- goldberg like oh his head explodes yeah, like she and Kevin are covered in blood, and there is a stump. Yeah, I mean it's like, it's like an eight hundred pound car engine. Like it is, it would have crushed him. Yeah, like it looks like it just kind of falls on his chest, and he's like Ugh. out for the count. <laughs> like I was wondering, is he still going to be alive at this point? Is he going to be like, yeah, one of those like he comes back from the dead? Yeah, I can still taste your cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and then she steps on his face, and that's what does it. Yes, because she found the fuck me pumps in the in the barn. <laughs> I love how you just keep bringing the fuck me pumps back into Which again, every single. They're scene. never even mentioned in the movie. They're in the deleted scene. <laughs> uh, you know what? You didn't laugh at a lot of my other jokes, so I just have to keep going back to the one that worked. You're like, I know it's working here. I'm gonna push the I fuck me pumps until they inside. die. Ew. Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> anyway, Don't talk about it. That's that not how comedy works. But, but now the movie's over. It's literally over. <laughs> Yeah, I, the abrupt ending is my favorite part of it. They just load the ambulance with Garrett, and then, boop, we're done. Like, literally just fades to black. All right, cool. Yeah, she basically just is there by his side. It's very Gale and Dewey at the end of Scream 2. She's saying that she's going to be there for him. So we've got this reunification of the heterosexual nuclear family. And then the ambulance drives away, and you're like, okay, Coda, no, movie's done. Credits, credits. Let's get out of here. And you know how I am, Joe, about wanting to see the aftermath and see reactions. I don't give a shit about this one at all. I'm totally fine with this ending as it is we didn't need anything else no. you didn't want to see how the uncle takes it 
Oh my this god. It's probably totally killed him, you know. Oh, yeah, he's dead. Uh, well, no, because literally she breaks into the house and we see Uncle Bob there and Noah goes to Kristen Chenoweth's house. So, like, no. Uncle Bob has no idea what the fuck's going That's on. so weird. I mean, but you know what? Fuck it. Because it doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's None over. Of it matters. And no. hopefully, if you play a mass drinking game, you're wasted by now. Oh, no. and people yeah. are very drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta dig the rules up for that. Actually, you, now that you say you it, I, I gotta dig up that up. Yeah, because yeah, when this drops, we can post them. I fucking love that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the boy next door. Final thoughts, everyone. Brilliant, amazing, <laughs> gives you everything that you need, but nothing that you want. But you do want. <laughs> I don't know how else to say. I it. gave it a three out of five on Letterbox because I did. it's it's an incompetent movie. It's dumb, but God, it's so entertaining. It's like. I almost think it wouldn't be as good if it knew it was bad. No, it wouldn't be. I, I think if it played anything softer, if it played anything more like... Because we said Lifetime, and I know it does have a Lifetime feel, but it plays a little more dangerous, and I like it for that reason, where you still get these dumb, super dramatic arcs, but at the same time, it's incredibly aggressive and alarming, and you're kind of like, okay, I don't know what tone we're going for here, but I'm kind of into it. I also want to clarify, too, because I feel like people throw around, oh, it's a Lifetime movie with a big budget. I mean, I literally said at the beginning of this episode, I don't mean that really in a bad way. I feel like people give Lifetime a lot of shit because they obviously cater to a specific demographic and they put out a specific kind of content. Oh, absolutely. But it works, and it may not be quote-unquote good, but it is entertaining as fuck, just like this is. Well, I think... I use the designation to help cue people because I feel like people know what you mean if you say, oh, this is like a lifetime film. Because it's, for better or worse, the channel has become synonymous with low-budget, sort of schlocky, a little bit exploitative Lucky McKee like literally just made a lifetime movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think the only issue that bothers me a lot with this movie is just feels like it starts to push the envelope or it, it's going into some of that darker territory but they just can't quite pull the trigger like they don't want to be too sensational they don't want to be too campy they're just a little too reserved in some of these things and that messiness is fun a lot of the time but it doesn't make for as good a movie i agree with that i think they were trying to play to the mainstream audiences a little bit too hard is with exactly what you're saying that's where, blumhouse yeah exactly this is a blumhouse film now that we get through the whole thing it makes sense that it's a blumhouse track and they they want to hit j-lo's fan base you know this might not be something they would come out to if it was too crazy or over the top and there's a reason why the knife isn't on the poster there's a reason why it's just j-lo and there's a reason why it's you know played in a way that it is Lifetime, because to me, Lifetime is like sappy and sentimental in a way, and it has a more dramatic feel to it. So it's all intentional. It's all what they wanted. But yet they still came out with this product that is mm-hmm. like John Waters' lady in a way. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's not a good movie. It's not a perfect movie, no, but it is a no. movie that exists. It's damn fucking fun, man. It's so it fun. is damn fun to watch. With I, I had my friend Christy over here, and we both watched it, and we were howling at certain lines. The cookie stuff, all those quotable lines are for a reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's going to be the boy next door. Yep. All right. Well, then, before we announce what we're covering next week, Matt, 
What do you want to plug? What do you want to talk about? What are you doing? I would like to plug, you can follow me at Donatobot on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And as Trey said before, you can find my writing at places such as Slash Film, Pangoria, Bloody Disgusting, Adam Insider, We Got This Covered, Flickering Myth, and other places on the internet. Or just follow me on social media, and I will whore myself out incessantly. It's true. He'll do it for, like, pennies on the dollar, too. No, I'll do it for free. I, I, I'll whore myself so good. You can also Google Matt Donato Christmas Horror, and it'll pull up his Letterboxd list of all the christmas horror this is films. true because <laughs> i or, or you can look at the uh stage fright blu-ray cover which has Ugh. my cover my quote on it that trace is so famously mocked on horror careers before and not the good stage fright. no yeah not the good stage fright. no not the good stage fright the the, the better stage fright oh god no yeah, the other stage now you're done. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, the slasher, the, the 80s slasher stage fright is a five-star film. The 2014 musical stage fright is a two-star film, and that's being generous. But we're not here to talk about that. We didn't get you on that episode because we didn't want you on it. No, you just mocked me behind my back where I couldn't defend myself. No, I, we, to, yes. we told you we mocked you. We told you. <laughs> yeah, we didn't give you a chance to respond. No, we don't do that here. Sons of bitches. It's fine. Yeah. But, yeah. um... Yes, so that is that. Uh, anything else, Matt? Uh, thank you for letting me break this straight barrier on horror queers. Oh, I, I hope I did not ruin it. I, we're, our listeners will let us know. I mean, your appreciation of the male and female form came across very nicely. Yeah, we'll yeah. go with that. Guzman is a goddamn god. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so if you'd like to contact us, you can visit our Horror Queers Facebook page or join, join our Horror Queers Facebook group. Tweet the show at Horror Queers or email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com. If you have two seconds, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating or write a review. We love those. Um, we've had a couple in January, which is great. If you want to view more content, please visit our Facebook page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes covering recent horror films like The Grudge and Underwater. February will have some good episodes, too. Of course, you can also listen to our commentary on Scream to pair with our episode on Scream 2 from a few weeks ago. Joe, Mm -hmm. what are we talking about next week and what's the occasion for this movie? All right. So we are done with January, which means that our anniversary month is over. So we are no longer pairing films from last year with this year, which means we are free from my terrible birthday pick, Trace. Both Joe and I share February birthdays, so we each get a birthday pick this month. But Joe is up first, of course. So Joe... Yes. What is it? So, I have talked repeatedly about my love for certain types of films, in particular Clive Barker, as well as Hellraiser and Candyman. So I thought, what better film to talk about on the podcast than a Hellraiser movie? But folks, we are not doing a good Hellraiser movie. (laughs) No, we're not. We're not doing one. We're not doing two. Dear Lord, we are not even doing three. We are doing number four, where Pinhead goes into space. So we're going to talk about Hellraiser Bloodline from 1996. But it also has Adam Scott in like 17th century France. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. This movie is a disaster and I can't wait to dig into it. I cannot either. It's going to be so fun. But that is for next week. And Mm -hmm. um, on that note, we can cross out The Boy Next Door. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home 
of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas. SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.